0: Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin.
1: Brooke Faust Westcott. Good old English name he's the first devil number two is Fenton John Anthony Hort together they are the collective devils known as Westcott and hort you, you will these two names are infamous in history they are Painted as the men who save the word of God. I mean, if it wasn't for them, we just wouldn't have the Bible today. And um, that could not be any further from the truth. They are inflammatory figures. What does it mean to be an inflammatory figure? Pastor Innocent? If you're an inflammatory figure, it means you cause problems wherever you go. You inflame. If you if you have a uh, pain in your leg, a doctor would say there's there's inflammation. It's inflammatory. These men cause pain. They cause trouble everywhere they go. As they're they're a couple of devils. They were able to persuade the world of Christian academia. What is academia? Yeah, the world of scholars. The world of education the intellectuals, the elite, the intelligentsia, all these people who think they are more important than they actually are. Um, he persuaded the world of Christian academia to follow after Alexandrian ideals and to reject biblically accepted forms of textual criticism. This is where the Christian world, in a, in a sense, split. You know, the, there was this great unity, and we're going through the Philadelphia church period where you have all these great churches and, and people are believing the Word of God and missionary movements. The King James Bible helped give birth to these incredible missionary movements out of England that spread across the world and, and um, just incredible things happened when this book was formed. Well, these guys wanted to fix that. <laughs> we can't have good godly activity like that. We need, we need to destroy it. And they showed up to do their dirty work. The Christian world has been deceived into teaching that these men were godly heroes who helped find the true Greek text of the Bible. In reality, they were deceptive, heretical, and apostate infidels who did much to harm faith in God's word. Anyone who breaks from the unmerited praise for these men is considered unscholarly and ignorant. Count me in. (laughs) I'm not following them. If if I want to follow scholarship, I'm going to go to Lancelot Andrews. I'm going to go to Dean John Bergen. I'm going to go to men of that sort. I'm not following after Westcott and Hort, who were communists and warlocks. You know what a warlock is? Anybody here know what that is? Anybody here know of the, the, I thought the, I thought, you know, the idea of, um, I forget the name of it. There, there's, a, there's, there's this like this Druid religion that came out of England. And um, I had a business in America. I had a, a lawn business. It was a it was quite, quite large lawn business. And I had a guy who worked for me. And um, th- his name was, we called him Scotty the Fire. <laughs> his name was Scotty. And he said that he was a witch, but he was a good witch. He wasn't a bad witch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I used to ask him, I was like, well, if you're such a witch, can you cast a spell on my bank account and make it grow continually? And he said he couldn't do that. I said, well, I have a lawn business. Can you cast a spell on the grass and make it grow to the perfect level and never change? He said, no, I can't do that either. I like, what use are you? <laughs> you can't do anything. And one time uh, I had this... we maintain this large uh, grocery store parking lot and the grocery store called me and said, we have bird's nests in our sign, which is not my business. I don't care. I cut your grass. I don't take care of bird's nests in your sign. I was like, okay, Uh, you know, they pay me a lot of money just to make you happy. We'll come by and try to take care of it. So I go by, I stick a ladder up there and I turn to Scotty and I say, all right, go get those bird's nests. He's like, I'm scared of heights. Like, you're a witch. (laughs) Don't you like fly and levitate and stuff? And You're scared of heights. I was like, can't you like levitate up there and just pull the nest out and come back down? And he's like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I'm like, well, you're completely useless. And then one day, me and uh, me and my partner and I were uh, we took him out to eat. And Scotty was a was a special character. He never had a license. He was in and out of jail. He was. Always in trouble. We, we really tried to help him, but he, some people just don't want to be helped. And, um, so we take him out to eat and we stop at a Taco Bell and he eats a beef taco. I'm like, you know, no problem. I, I had to buy it for him because he had no money. So he's like, whatever. As long as you're going to work today, we'll, we'll take care of it. So, so we're sitting there and he's telling us that, that his family, his family grows goats and sells them but they better never find out that you killed one of their goats. And I said, why not? I said, we don't believe in killing animals. Said, you just ate a beef taco. And he's like, well, I didn't kill it. I'm like, but you ate it. <laughs> you, you, you make no, like he's a perfect example of this mentality. You just make stuff up as you go and, and hope it sounds good. And so anyways, I'm, I'm trying to witness to him and I want to learn more about his religion. So I go home and I look it up and I'm thinking, this religion goes back centuries. It was like a, it was like 70 years old. It, you know, it went back to like the times of Westcott and Hort. Maybe it's a couple. Maybe it's a couple hundred years old, three, four hundred years old, something like that. But I thought it was like you know, you know, witches and and you know all all these different things that go back thousands of years. And it and it doesn't. And so I came back to it, I was like, do you know your religion is like. Like a hundred years old? And he's like, No, I didn't know that. I was like, You people just made this up like like four hundred years ago, and now you want to act like you're this this witch that, that that you know that is able to do all these things. Well, that's Westcott and Hort. They they follow that mentality and that and, and, and those religions. They dabbled in those things and, and, and toyed with those ideas. And so to better understand the beliefs of these guys, we're not gonna get we're not going to go too far into their, their extra beliefs, like, like their involvement in Druid religions and all this garbage. But um, Sam Gipp is a man in America who is most well-known. for. I mean, he's dedicated his entire life to the history and study of, the, of the, the, the King James Bible. All his ideas are not great, but most of them are really good. Um, he's put a lot of information together that will help someone who wants to try to sift through all the pertinent, important information. And he put together a book called An Understandable History of the King James Bible or of the English Bible, something like that. And so he put together in his book a collection of, of just some information about these two. And so we're going to go through them as quickly as we can to fill up this next class period and try to get you the information. So these are facts provided. This is what's important, all right? All right. What Sam Gibb did is he went to these two men to, to these two men. Both of them had sons who wrote books about their fathers, right? So the two sons wrote, each each wrote a book, you know, uh, Westcott's son wrote a book about Westcott, and Hort wrote a book about Hort. And in this book, they wanted to tell you the wonderful things that their fathers believed. <laughs> Well, it turns out for us, it's very revealing because it's not things that we want to believe. (laughs) It's it's quite terrible. And so the reason this is important is because their sons are are writing these glowing reports about their fathers and trying to give you this wonderful information about their fathers. So this is not their enemies writing a book about them or a stranger writing a book about them. This is what their sons had to say about them. Okay? That's where the information came from. So... Um, In 1871, around this time, just to kind of set the date and give you a little background, the Roman Catholic Church infiltrated the Church of England and used it as an opportunity to call for a revision of the King James Bible. One thing the Catholic Church has never ceased to do is try and attack the Word of God. That has been a a constant habit of the Catholic Church. They either want to control the Word of God, so you have to come to them to get it, or they're going to destroy the Word of God that exists. So they, the Church of England had become just this monster of apostasy, and the Catholic Church, you know, Jesuits are very real, and they're very good at what they do. Jesuits are trained to, to infiltrate religions and then change that religion from within. They're also changed to infiltrate countries and change that country from within. And they're very good at doing that. They're kind of like a CIA or FBI operative. They, they can do those types of things. And so the Catholic Church relies on Jesuits to accomplish those types of tasks. So they get into the Church of England and they call for a revision of the King James Bible and up to that point, the King James Bible dominated the Christian world for more than 200 years. So why change it now? 200 years, God's people were able to review this book and fell in love with it. There was no call for changes other than outside Bible-believing Christianity. People who hate Bible-believing Christianity said, we've got to get rid of this book. <laughs> People who love the Word of God said, cherished this book and loved this book and would have no other. In fact, other English translations came out in that 200 years. I couldn't even tell you the name of one of them. You couldn't tell me the name of one of them. <laughs> because nobody wanted them. Nobody cared. We, we have it. It's here. It's done. In, in English, the Word of God, it, that's a finished work. Anybody who says, well, we're trying to get the Word of God in English... <laughs> You're a fool. Move on. The job is done. Okay? Other countries, other languages need the word of God. English, they don't and and this is the beautiful thing. What's the most spoken language in the entire world? English. If you want to do business in any foreign country where they where where English is not their dominant language, what do you got to speak in order to do business there? English. What is China calling Americans and, and British people and, and uh, Australians and New Zealanders to China to do? Teach English. It's, it's, it's almost like God knew something was going to happen with the English language and decided it might be a good idea to get his book into the English language. <laughs> now you have communist China bringing Christians over to teach their people the word of God, and many of them use a Bible to teach them. That's pretty incredible. So, but 1871, the world's in disarray. Uh, Well, the the Catholic Church is trying to cause the world to go back into disarray. Uh, The men within the Church of England accused the King James Bible of having errors and therefore demanded a revision. The Church approved the demand, the Church of England, nobody else, the Church of England approved that, de- that, that, that demand. Now, the Church of England had great political power in England at that time. In fact, if you refused to go along with the Church of England, you could be excommunicated. Um, one of my f- favorite authors, his name is Samuel Rutherford, he was one of those pastors. They removed him from his pastorate and forced him to... They they forced these men to live in these, these cities of exile. If you were a pastor who refused... They were called nonconformists. If you refused to conform to the Church of England, they forced you out of your church, out of your town, and you were not allowed to go to to a nearby city. You had to stay in the in these cities of refuge that they let you go stay in. And that was it. That's all you had available to you. Anybody know the song "The Sands of Time Are Sinking"? That entire song, the woman that wrote that put that song together. That song is a collection of. Phrases from Samuel Rutherford's letters while he was in ex- exile, writing back and forth to his, his constituents. So it's a collection of things that he wrote and she put them together to create the song, The Sands of Time Are Sinking. One of the greatest songs ever, ever put together. So that's, that's what's happening at this time. And now the Church of England, who has, who have a lot of political sway, are demanding that the King James Bible be revised. Now, this was a touchy thing. They knew that they had to, this had to be incremental. They knew this couldn't be a massive change because Bible-believing Christians fell in love with this book and they were not going to let go of it. So they were, they were going to paint this as just a small revision. We're just going to make a, little, a few little changes here and there to correct the errors. Well, what errors? Well, we don't know yet. <laughs> we'll find out when we do the revision. <laughs> well, shouldn't you know what the errors are before you get there? And so... They're putting this together, the church approved the demand, but the rules were established that required the translators to use, ironically, the Textus Receptus. So the Church of England is demanding that the, this, this revision be done, not an edit, but a Revision. They're saying that they have found errors in the King James Bible. So they want to go back to the Textus Receptus, which apparently means they're only going to touch what? Hmm? The New Testament. This is, what, this, is what you have to, this is another area where you have to challenge people when they say, well, we believe the Bible in the original Greek. Oh, so you only believe the New Testament? Well, no, we believe the Old Testament also. So, you believe? So, do you believe the English Old Testament is the Word of God? Well, no, in the, in you know the original Hebrew. <laughs> but they've become so accustomed to saying in the Greek. Well, there is no the Greek, and the Greek only covers your New Testament. So, what about the Old Testament? Well, we believe the Masoretic text. Okay, sure you do. Have you read it? <laughs> well, no, I can't read it. Yeah. All right. So then, shut up and believe your Bible. Um, so. These rules are established, and somehow these men have decided they have to go back to the Textus Receptus and uh, put this revision together. All right, so the the church approved the demand. Now, through deception, okay, now you think about what's already happening. You're trying to change the, the King James Bible. That's already a problem. So Westcott and Hort are put on this translation team And they deceived the translation team into swapping the Textus Receptus with with Alexandrian manuscripts. (laughs) And they knew what they were doing. And they write about it. And their sons write about it. And they praise them for it as though it was a good thing. Now think about that line of thought. You deceived people into using a text they did not want to use to accomplish a task they wanted to they hired you to accomplish and then later you're praised for it and not say, no, nobody looks at you and says you, you devils instead they say oh Westcott and Horde those intellectuals praise God for them what would we be without them I don't know not divided <laughs> because what people are going to do is they're going to come to people who say this book is the perfect word, word of God and they're going to say why do you got to be so divisive what what is divisive about God's word? That is the most basic thing you're going to tell me. The man who says, "Well, you know, the King James Bible is, it's all we've got, but we use it." But you're also going to tell me, I don't know why people don't believe the word of God. You don't believe the word of God. You don't think you have it. But that that's the incoherence in their thinking and and the way that they live. It's it's so disjointed. It makes no sense. And they don't catch it until you say something. But then I'm the divisive one because I say something. One time my wife and I were at a... Oh, I really... My wife is... My wife is so nice. People like her. And then she has me. And, um... <laughs> we were at a missions conference and there was a man there who's a missionary in Kenya. I won't say his name. You know, though <laughs> I'd like to. And, um... And he's telling me how, so we're sitting at this table at a missions conference. We just met, and he's telling me how I'm going to learn when I get on the field that I can't use the King James Bible. He's like, you might be dogmatic about that now, but you won't use that when you get on the field. I'm like, That's okay, yeah, how are those potato chips? Put some in your mouth and, um, and stop talking. And so um, I, I'm trying not to have this conversation because it's not going to go well. Because he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he's saying idiotic things. And the pastor is here. I've just met him for the first time. All these nice people are here. They've put on this really nice dinner for the missionaries. And I'm really trying to be nice and not engage in this conversation. And he will not leave it alone. So finally, in front of the pastor and everybody, I ripped into him and made him look like a complete fool. And then I asked him, are you now going to go back to every one of those churches that you told you believe the King James Bible? Are you going to go tell every one of them you're giving the new King James to all your people and that you don't believe this is the word of God? And if you don't, you're a liar and you're deceiving people to steal money from God's people in order to go into a mission field and, tell, and teach people about the word of God. Well, I just don't think. Yeah, I know you don't think. That's the problem. You you imagined this was an okay position to take. But when you stood in people's pulpits, you told them you believe the King James Bible is the word of God. Then you went to the mission field and... Because you think you're so intellectual, and these stupid, lowly church people back in America don't need to know that I'm not using the King James Bible here, and that I'm giving people the new King James Bible, while going back there and telling them I believe the King James Bible, they don't need to know that. They're too dumb to understand the real problems that missionaries face. That's ungodly, it's deceptive, it's Westcott and Hort... So, this conversation airs out right in front of the pastor, and the pastor turns to me and says, Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know how it was going to go because I don't know what the pastor believes. They all say they believe the King James Bible, but as far as I know, they agree with the man sitting across from me. And I'm the one that's going to be the bad guy because I refuse to give up on this book. Or at least I will be honest about what I believe about this book. I don't go to a church where I know they they don't believe the same way I do about the King James Bible and tell them, well, we believe it's the best that we've got. You know, we just use it. No, I'm not doing that. I make sure and tell them, I don't believe the King James Bible is a good translation. I believe it is the perfect word of God. It is not just simply a translation that I'm stuck with because... God couldn't do any better in English. It's God's Word. That's what I'm going to teach. That's how I'm going to present it. And that's what I want you to know. Now, if you want to support me and you want, to, you want to give us financial assistance so we can go to Africa, praise the Lord, we'll take it. But that's what I believe. And if you're not okay with that and you don't want that propagated, I understand. We're going to have to agree to disagree and I'll move on and go to another church. But I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not and deceive you into using a different text than you want me to use just so I can get your money or just so I can get ahead or get what I want. It's ungodly. And the missionaries who are doing it should give the money back that they stole and they should go home and stop telling people that they're missionaries. And this is why nobody wants to listen to me. And this is why my wife gets embarrassed. But the deception was even worse than that. Westcott and Hort were among the revisers, and they used this opportunity to slip in, not the Alexandrian text or N Alexandrian text, but their own version of an Alexandrian text. Now think about that. I made my own version of an Alexandrian text And now that I've been put in charge of making this translation, I'm just going to slip that in here and that's what we're going to use and we're not going to tell anybody until we're deep into this that we're not using the textus receptus. We're not even using an Alexandrian text. We're using a text that we edited and that we made the way we want it to be and that's what we're using to create this new revised version. That is dirty. And when a preacher or a missionary deceives a church and won't be honest about what he believes about the Bible. It's just as dirty. It's just as wrong. And they should be thrown out and it should not be, it should not be accepted. <clears throat> so they used their own manuscript. Westcott and Hort argued the Alexandrian manuscripts should be preferred over the traditional text because the Alexandrian were older. No other reason. Now we're going to talk about a man named Tischendorf. That's another name. Mm-hmm. Ladies, you need a good name for a son. Tischendorf. <laughs> That's a... Yeah, t- for short. Tisch. Or Titian Or Dorf. <laughs> so Tischendorf... We'll talk about him later. He's just worth mentioning at the moment. Um, Tischendorf found what is considered one of the oldest manuscripts that exists from the Alexandrian line. Now, I want you to think about where he found them. He went to a monastery on Mount Sinai, and the monks that lived there were using The very manuscript that he purchased and took back to to wherever he went back, it was either England or Germany or Russia, I forget which which one he comes from. They were using it to start fires. (laughs) It was in the trash and they kept this trash of paper to help start fires in the monastery. Now, if this is the word of God, why would they be doing that? Because they know it's corrupt. They knew it was no good. Well Tischendorf found it and said, "You know my my boss would love to have that would you would you give it to him for a gift? I believe his boss was the Czar of russia um, and, and we'll we 'll talk about that when we get to him we 're not there yet, but so th- this is the text he found in the trash in a monastery. he brings it back, and the world 's like, oh, the oldest manuscripts, so that means that means all five thousand two hundred plus that we 've had they 're no good anymore because this one appears to be older, and because it appears to be older." It's probably the correct one. Where'd you say you find it? Well, it was in the trash. <laughs> Why was it in the trash? I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. It's going to make me famous. It's going to make me a lot of money. And so here we are. Now, the reality was, that wasn't true. It is not the oldest. There are manuscripts in the line of the Textus Receptus, the, the Antioch line, that are just as old as the Alexandrian line. So that's it's not true. The, the problem is not evidence. The problem is I have decided, I have found a text that I can make subject to me, which means I can make God subject to me, and it's going to make me rich and famous and powerful. And I don't care what God says. So they reject the word of God, which they knew that they knew existed. These men were linguistic, they, they were enough. Of, of, enough of a linguistic scholar to know that, that the truth about these manuscripts. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were, they were unbelievably deceptive. So, but again, this isn't true. Westcott and Hort admitted as much in their own writings. Now, this is what they wrote. And I quote, the fundamental text, the traditional text. So what's the traditional text? What's it also known as? The Textus Receptus, but before that, what's it also known as? The Byzantine text. All right. So, according to them, the traditional text of the late extant Greek manuscripts generally is beyond all question identical with the dominant or Greco Syrian text of the second half of the fourth century. So, he's saying that I know that our oldest text is just as old as. The traditional, the traditional text, oldest text. But we're just going to kind of not mention that. Because if I can say this is the oldest, and therefore if it is the oldest, it must be more authoritative, then we can get rid of all 5,200 plus other manuscripts that exist as the Word of God. Now let me ask you a question. If we just think about this logically for a moment. If I had, now look at this Bible. This is my street preaching Bible. I mean, it looks, it's getting pretty rough, right? It, the leather is wearing out. It's, you know, it's, it, it's been around for a while. It's held up very well, but it's, it's worn out. Now, what if I had an NIV? What if I buy an NIV just for the purposes, and I may bring one just to show you some, some issues. I may bring one, um, and the only time I ever use it is when I teach this class. Otherwise, it sits on the shelf, Which Bible is going to last longer? The NIV. Why? Nobody uses it. It sits on a shelf. But the book I use repeatedly is going to get worn out and have to be replaced. Why did the Alexandrian text last for so long? Nobody used it. Why do we only have later copies, for the most part, of the traditional text? because it was used. <laughs> People read it. People cared about it. They wanted it in their hands. They wanted to read it. They wanted to study it. And so, but then the reality is that the, the, this text that Westcott and Horde is referring to, it's not even the oldest text. It's not older, not in any, not in any real way. It, there, are, there are manuscripts from the, from the Byzantine text that are just as old as the Alexandrian text, so it's it's not even realistic on its face. And they admit it as such. They, they knew that. All right, this means they knew the traditional text had support as old as the Alexandrian text, but the traditional text had thousands of other extant manuscripts to collate. What does collate mean? Anybody remember? Yes, yeah, so it's it's when you take multiple manuscripts of a of a similar line and you compare them together and and you and you kind of you to collate means you know when a when a printer prints something and it, and it spits out all that paper if it can collate it can organize that paper as it prints it out and so all you're doing is you're taking manuscripts you're going to collate them together, verify their authenticity, and then you're going to publish it into a collection of usable... Ma- you're not going to send the original text around for people to look at. You're going to collate it all together, create something that people can can get their hands on, print that, publish it, so that, that the world of academia can get their hands on it and read it and study it and verify its its validity. So they knew that there were thousands of these manuscripts that had been collated. That had already been assembled together. One major form is the Texas Receptus. And um, they didn't care. So Hort said in his writings that the Texas Receptus was a vile Greek text. Now, what was his support for this? <laughs> you let me know if you find out. There wasn't any. He just didn't like it. He didn't want it. They had this strange hatred for the line of manuscripts that descend from the traditional text. They claim their attachment to the Alexandrian manuscripts was based on some sort of textual purity. But the Alexandrian manuscripts do not agree with each other. Now, if over here, for the Textus Receptus, you have more than 5,200 plus, and there to, to date there might be more than that. I, I think I might have seen numbers up to 5,400, but... These are numbers I, I can recall and, and, and I know that I've seen. All right, so more than 5,200 and around 90, and they're in around 99% agreement. I mean, there's very little variation between them. Unbelievably minor, if there, are, if there is any. But then you have the Alexandrian line. Sorry, Alexandria. And. They literally have like 10 manuscripts. There might, be, there might be a few more. We'll get to that and we'll, we'll be a little more objective when we get there. But out of the ones they have, they don't agree. <coughs> they don't agree with each other. The, this group, 99% agreement within the line, not, not between each other. If you compare all the manuscripts that come from this line, there's, there's coherence. They agree, right? They, they say the same thing. If you look at these manuscripts that come from Alexandria, the manuscripts within the Alexandrian line of manuscripts disagree with each other. <laughs> it's total confusion. They preferred this text because of the mindset that came with it. It is subject to man's religious decisions. If you have a line of text that you can make say what you want and you're the kind of person who doesn't want to listen to what God says, then make it say what you want. So that's why, yes, we will use the Texas Receptus. Oh, what's this? Well, this is a text that we made up. We took an Alexandrian text, which was already edited, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago, and we just did our own little edit to it. And so we're going to use this instead. And that's the basis for the revised version, which then became the basis for every modern Bible since then. So you choose which side you want to follow. Hort said regarding Mark 14:30. Let's look at Mark 14:30. 14, Mark 14 and verse 30. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Look at verse 68. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew, Uh, look at verse 72. And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind to the word, uh, the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crew twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when, that, and when he thought thereon, he wept. Now, according to Hort, in seven of the principal Alexandrian manuscripts, so these are the ones they say are the most important, right? Every one of them says something different in all those verses. So which one do you go with? You could come over here and you could say, you know, I have 5,200 manuscripts that that are unbelievably close in agreement. Uh, Why wouldn't I leave the confusion and come over to the truth? Now, by his own admission in his own writings, he said, yeah, I read all those verses and they all say something different. (laughs) Now, if you're going to... If you're trying to translate from a Greek text into English at that point in time, what do you do? You just make it up. You either pick one and go with what it says, or you just make it say what you want it to say. And that's the confusion in all the modern Bibles. You can go into a church in America. I'm sure, it's, I'm sure they have it here in Uganda as well. You can go to a church in America, and everybody's got a different version of an English Bible and they're all reading something completely different and they don't see any problem with that they will lit- they literally think it's a good thing to say well my my version says <laughs> do you not see the problem with this what is wrong with you <laughs> how did you get so dumb you- Everybody's claiming to be speaking on behalf of God. Everybody's got a different book that claims to speak on behalf of God. And they all say something completely different. And everybody's just like, oh, that's so beautiful. I don't understand what's so beautiful about it. Why wouldn't we go to a place that has coherence and uniformity and unity? And we can sit down together and open a King James Bible and everybody's reading the same thing. And when the preacher preaches, we know what he's talking about. I mean, doesn't that seem like a reasonable idea? (laughs) Or am I crazy? According to them, I'm crazy. Uh, He complained in his writings that there was no consistency in one text, nor in the collective seven manuscripts. (laughs) One text. (laughs) The text itself had no consistency, much less between the manuscripts. Uh, But this did not sway them. They did not believe the Bible was a special revelation from God, but rather it was equal to any literature of antiquity. Hort wrote that the New Testament writings were full of corruptions introduced by copies over time. Where was that true? In in the Alexandrian line of text. For him to say that that, that copies over time were corrupted by editors, that's 100% true of the text he's using. That is not true of the Byzantine line, the the, the, the traditional text, the Textus Receptus. It is not true of that line of manuscripts. Erasmus didn't change God's word when he took it from Latin and Greek, the the Byzantine text, into a concise book. What he did was verify what's supposed to be there, and and he gave us a clear, concise New Testament in the Greek language. These men know that, but they ignored it this stands as a common argument against the purity of God's word still today, despite the lack of evidence. Well, God's word, you know, men wrote the Bible. Of course men wrote the Bible. That, who, how, is that supposed to, to, to per, persuade me to drop the word of God because you found out that, men, that God used men to write the Bible? how else was he going to do it? I mean, he wrote it on a table of stones and Moses just smashed it. So what's he supposed to do? Of course he used men, but whose words did those men record? God's words. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Every scripture is inspired of God, right? So it's not a problem that God used men to write the word of God. In fact, (laughs) it's an idiotic statement to make of course god used men but the the problem is the accusations made about our bible are true about every other bible but it's not true about this one and that can be historically documented that can that's that's a fact that is a fact that can be that can be proven very easily that is not what happened with the king james bible Men just assume it must be true. They do not take the time to verify its validity whatsoever. Westcott and Hort often and openly denied the validity of foundational Bible doctrine. This is going to be fun. Um, And yet fundamental Baptist churches still adopt their teachings and their ideas regarding the Bible. They wouldn't let these men come anywhere near their pulpit. So instead, every Sunday, they stand in their pulpit and repeat what these men taught. (laughs) Does that make any sense? So, problems with Hort. Hort denied creation and refused to believe that that Eden ever existed. It's in his Bible, but he didn't believe it existed. Do, Do you not see a problem here? He denied creation and he denied that Eden, that the Garden of Eden existed. Hort denied the infallibility of the word of of, of the Bible. When asked if he would join the revision committee, he replied that if they demand he believe in the infallibility of Scripture, he would have to deny their request. His sons wanted you to know that about him. They wanted you to know that if they required them to believe this was inspired of God, that they're not joining the revision team. But if you'll leave that open, and I don't have to believe that, then okay, I'll join (laughs) What a bunch of devils. Westcott was willing to admit there may have been some providential guidance in Scripture, but he said he was unwilling to believe that Scripture was infallible. Hort greatly admired the writings of Charles Darwin. Who's Charles Darwin? He wasn't a scientist. He claimed to be a scientist. Again? Yeah, he, he's the man that laid out the theory of evolution that we've had to fight against ever since. Everybody just abandoned the Word of God and jumped on Charles Darwin's boat. I'm sorry. Charles Darwin. Darwin. So he, he greatly admired Charles Darwin. He did not believe... Or at least had serious doubts about the person of the devil. He didn't believe there was a devil. Mm-hmm. It'd be hard for him to believe because that's what, was, that's what had possessed him. Yeah, was <clears throat> Hort did not believe in hell as described in the Bible. He said he struggled to believe in any form of eternal punishment. Well, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> he believes it today. He believes it 100% right now. He is not confused about it at all. Hort did believe in purgatory. Now imagine that. You don't believe in hell, which the Bible teaches, but you believe in purgatory, which the Catholic Church teaches. These are some confused individuals. He said he refused to believe the power of repentance was limited to this world. Now what's the problem with that statement? I refuse to believe that. That means he was presented evidence, maybe even from the word of God, and he said, I don't care what it says. I'm refusing to believe that. I believe you can go to purgatory and repent in purgatory and get out. Well, that's not what God said. I don't care what God said. I'm refusing to believe what God said. That's the difference in the mentality. He wrote that the blood atonement of Jesus Christ was an ungodly heresy. He wishes he had it now as he lift up his eyes in hell, being in torment. That's one heck of a thing to to reject, the blood atonement. Hort also believed if there were an atonement paid, it was probably paid to Satan and not to the Father. In other words, Christ died, shed his blood, and paid that atonement to Satan, not to the Father, which is what the Bible teaches. That, that's a very interesting belief to have there. Hort believed fervently in baptismal regeneration, and he said repeatedly that baptismal regeneration was the only way to become a child of God or to enter the body of Christ. And so what do churches teach today? If you want to be a member of our church, you must be water baptized. Where'd they get that from? It didn't come from the Bible. Hort, uh, So now problems with Westcott. Westcott did not believe in creation. He said that Genesis chapters 1 through 3 should not be taken literally. They're not real. Don't believe them. Now, when you don't take it literally, what do you get to do? You get to just make up what it means as you read it. If it doesn't mean what it says, then you get to theorize about what you think it means. And your theory about what it means is just as valid as the word of God. Westcott believed that Moses and David were poetic figures, not real people. That's interesting because Jesus often referred to these poetic figures. Jesus was under the impression they were real people. So either Jesus is confused or Westcott is confused. I will let you decide. Westcott did not believe in the biblical account of miracles. Lots of men over his, throughout history did not believe in the, in the Bible account of miracles. They couldn't let go of Jesus. They, 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 were, they were infatuated with Jesus because of his, his brilliance as a moral teacher, but they refused to believe he's God, and they refused to believe in his miracles. Westcott believed the second coming of Christ would be spiritual, not physical. Westcott believed heaven was a state of mind, not a literal place. Okay, then what is hell? Is it a state of mind? Let's say it was a state of mind. Would you want to be stuck in an eternal state of mind where you think you're burning in torment? (laughs) No, you don't. Westcott was deeply devoted to Mary in the Roman Catholic form and teaching. Of course he was. Westcott believed in purgatory and therefore encouraged prayer for the dead, whatever that is. Brother Gross was preaching a couple of weeks ago, out on the out on at the roundabout, and a man comes across the street and yells at him and says, I pray for the dead every Sunday. We're like, well, stop. (laughs) Why do you do that? So, these are good Catholic ideas, and uh, Westcott had fallen for them. Westcott admits openly that salvation is found in baptism, not in Christ's blood. And if you believe that, what verse are you going to delete out of your Bible? Acts 8, verse 37. If thou believest, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Then they went down in the water and he baptized him. But if you believe baptismal regeneration is, is true and part of your religion, I mean, that passage is kind of damaging. And if you get to edit your own text, why not just delete that? Save you a lot of trouble. You don't have to listen to God and... You can convince billions of people over the centuries that baptismal gen- regeneration is true. And the passage that most clearly refutes it is gone. Westcott and Hort were devoted socialist and communist. I believe Westcott was a socialist and Hort was a communist. Uh, they, hated American, uh, they hated America and democracy. Now that's, who cares? You know, Lots of people hate America. That's not the point. The point is their attachment to socialism and communism. And if you don't understand the problem with that, you, you need to look into it. Anytime socialism and communism is ever implemented into a country, you die. Every time. When, when Mao took over China and implemented communism, nearly 100 million people were killed. In order to purify the country under communism. When uh, Stalin took over in Russia, actually long before Stalin, but under Stalin, around 60 million people were killed in the name of communism. Now, this is the communists killing their own people. Anytime socialism and communism is, is instituted, millions of people die. Everywhere in the world, it does You look at, go home tonight and look up Venezuela, see how they're doing. That is a beautiful example of what socialism does. Venezuela was an was a oil-rich, well-off country doing very well. Then a man took over and implemented socialism. Today, you, they'll charge you a fortune to buy a dog so you can eat it. The people are starving. The whole country has collapsed. Thank you, socialism. People are dying, and they're going to continue to die because of socialist and communist ideology. It's very ungodly. It's, it's deeply rooted in death. And so, anytime these, these two, either of these ideologies are implemented as the government power, one of the first things they go after is this book. They're going to get rid of this book. They hate the Bible. They hate Christianity. Because Christianity creates strong, independent individuals not a horde of people that, that, that are, are led to slaughter. <laughs> and so if you, if you have a society full of people who are taught that a man is to provide for himself and not depend on the government, and that a man is to provide for his own family and not depend on others, what do you do with those people? You can't control those people. But if you can force everybody into a system where they have to come to me for food, they have to come to me for their needs, they have to come to me for everything, you can lead those people right into the gas chamber. What was Hitler's party called? The Nazis. Nazis. What does Nazi stand for? Nationalist Socialist Party. It's actually the Nationalist Socialist Workers' Party. That's socialism. Socialism. Six million people dead in gas chambers. Socialism and communism divide you, divide you. They take your individuality and they force you into a group. And at some point, that group is going to be demonized and we have to get rid of that group. It, it's it's it, it coincides with identity politics. In the 1990s, identity politics was very strong in a country called Rwanda. What happened in 1994? Genocide. So, anytime identity politics or socialism or communism or any of its variations are implemented as your governmental power, you're going to die. Your country's going to be destroyed. It's 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 a guarantee. It's a historical fact. Every time it happens, that is exactly the route that, that things go. Every single time. There was a man named Alexander Solzhenitsyn who wrote a book called The Gulag. He wrote. I guess you could call it a book. It's called The Gulag Archipelago. It's three volumes. Each volume is 700 plus pages. And it's about his time in the, in the uh, communist labor camps in the Soviet Union in Russia under Stalin. That book basically helped destroy communism in the 1980s. And the way it did that is it connected the ideology that is behind socialism and communism with the outworkings. You shall know them by what? Their fruit. The fruit of that, of that uh, form of government, it has an ideo- a religious ideology behind it that was laid out very well by Karl Marx, who also lived around this same time. It all, it all, it all comes together. And it ends in death and destruction. He linked all that together in his writings. And they're very profound. It's, very, it's, it's incredible to read and, and, and to see what that man went through. He ended up getting out. He was exiled into America. And his books began to be published. And soon after that, Ronald Reagan gave a speech that tore down the wall between, that, that divided Germany and, and helped to end the Soviet Union. And, and communism, until now, America itself is becoming a socialist and communist country. Now, what has happened to America in the past 15, 20 years? It's in a steady state of moral decline. The more that socialism and communism is implemented, and it's being implemented more and more, and, and, and they're doing more and more to break down the, our, our... We have a, a constitutional republic. That means the rights of every individual is respected. It doesn't matter who's coming against you. You have individual rights that everyone must respect all the time. Well, communism has to get rid of that document. And they've done a good job of doing it so far. And the more that communism and socialism is implemented into America, you're going to see America go the way of the Soviet Union and Venezuela and Italy and every other country that decided to toy with socialism and communism and be totally destroyed, along with that destruction, will be this book. Socialism and communism will not allow this book to stand. If this book is, is allowed to be into the hands of the people, then people are going to be independent, they're going to be self-sufficient, and they're going to rely on God. Not on someone else giving me what I think I need or what they think I need. Now, these men believe that. These men hated America because of, at this time, America was a strong republic. America was never supposed to be a democracy. Democracy is, is a different form of mob rule. If you can get a big enough crowd together, you can vote away somebody's rights in a democracy. But if everyone's rights are defined and protected in a constitutional republic, that's a whole different matter. This group can't vote away my rights. It's a constitutional right. And in America, we, we for up until recent years, we actually abided by those rights. Lots of countries say they're constitutional republics and then they just change. They're like Westcott and Hort. They just edit the Constitution when they don't like what it says. You don't get to do that in America. Or they haven't been able to do that in America, but it's coming. All right now... These men helped to foster an ungodly mindset that flourished among academics. Uh, The idea was that through textual criticism, man can force God into subjection. You talk about power. It doesn't get more powerful than that. I can make God listen to me. I can make God say what I want him to say. That's what they're doing. Uh, They can judge if God said a thing or not. And God has no say in the matter. It is an ultimate position of power and they were determined to have it and pass it on for generations.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.pleniusredemption.com. You can hear more Plinius Redemption podcast audio at www.pleniusredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.